is known throughout church history as, as Reformation Sunday. And the reason it is, is known as, as Reformation Sunday was because on October 31st of 1517, Martin Luther nailed up his famous 95 Thesis on the door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg. And things just changed radically at that point. I think it's so important for us as a, as a church to look and to see God's faithfulness and who he is and his character and, and what he has done in the history of the church and the reason why he did the things that he did and some of the people that he used. I think of, of the church and, and, and where the church was at in, 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 those, in those centuries before Martin Luther where just such incredible corruption had come into the church. Corruption in, in which it had taken people so far from the gospel. And, and as a church, our, our, our hearts are just centered upon Christ and centered upon the gospel. We love the gospel. The gospel is the only means of salvation to anyone who believes. The, Christ and him crucified and the perseverance of, of that message and the proclamation of that message here in Mission Viejo, here in Orange County, and even to the uttermost parts of the world, whether it be China or Russia or Sudan, as we go out this week and, and proclaim the gospel. It's the best news that anybody could ever hear, and it just literally just changes lives as it's changed each one of our lives. And we think of the church at that particular time and what was taking place, and you had these these people who, who were teaching things like that, that salvation wasn't by faith alone. That salvation came by faith plus works. That there needed to be things such as the selling of indulgences to, to be able to purchase people out of, out of hell, out of, out of purgatory. And so people would have to give money into, into the offering to be able to to, to pay for the release of certain people out of purgatory and doctrines like that that just raise incredible funds for the church and yet at the same time were unbiblical and such a, a far stray from the gospel to where people across the world were believing such doctrines. People were believing things like that the Pope had the authority to say things that were on the same level as Scripture and the only people that could understand Scripture were those that were a part of, of those that were the priests. And, 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 and so the Bible was hidden to so many people and they didn't know the gospel and they didn't know what to believe. And God just did something just miraculous through people like Huss and before him, people like Wycliffe. Wycliffe, who translated the Bible directly into English, challenged the church on its false doctrine. And as, as a result, he saw that facing incredible difficulties and being ostracized from the church, hatred from the church. He died of natural causes, but having died in 1384, Pope had him exhumed, his body exhumed nearly 50 years later, and they burned it. I mean, just the hatred for what he was saying and, and him with a steadfastness to the gospel and his commitment to God's word is, let's bring the body up again. Let's take those bones. Let's burn them and let's throw them into, into the river. See, people like Huss, who area of now 
Czech Republic. And, and you see what, what took place there where faithfulness to the gospel, a faithfulness to God's word, willing to call out that there's problems within the church. And what took place is there at young age, just in his 40s, burned at the stake. And we just watch God work. Watch those that were within that country, within that region, and seeing that 90% of them within that century believed what he was teaching. There's incredible changes of hearts within people. But you come to 1517, and that is known as the beginning of the Reformation. There when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis on the castle door in Wittenberg. Tasha and my family, we, we went this year and visited that place, Wittenberg, saw the door, saw where it was that he nailed that 95 Thesis. And you look, it's just, it's just this little town that's, that's, that's not any place where you, you would look at just like, think of Germany with, with Frankfurt or, or Berlin or places like Cologne and, and areas like that. It's not, not like that, just this little area. And here he goes in there, this faithful, this faithful man to say, here's problems that are within the church. Here's areas in which there's false doctrine, and he nails that and nails that to the door, and it just happens to be in God's good providence that it's the same time that the printing press was just starting, and, and so it gets printed and sent all over Europe, and what takes place is it's the beginning of the Reformation, beginning of people hearing God's word, seeing that there's such inconsistencies with what Scripture says and what the church was doing. Persecution that came upon him was great. On April 17th of 1521, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, Luther was brought before the Imperial Diet of Worms. And he was there, and they brought all of these books, and they brought them before him and said, Do you, Martin Luther, recognize these books published under your name as your own, and are you prepared to recant what, what you have written in these books. Here's all of these books. Are you prepared to recant what you've said? And you know that he's there before the emperor. He's there before the highest leaders in the world. He's there knowing that the response that he gives could cost him his life. He says, most gracious emperor, gracious princes and lords, his imperial majesty has asked me two questions. As to the first, I acknowledge as mine the books that have just been named. I cannot deny them. As to the second, seeing that it is a question which concerns faith and the salvation of souls, and in which the word of God, the greatest and most precious treasure, either in heaven or in earth, is interested, I should act imprudently were I to reply without reflection. For this reason, I entreat your imperial majesty with all humility to allow me time that I may answer without offending against the word of God. And so he goes and he prays that night and he records his prayer as he says this in his, his prayer is, O oh, almighty and everlasting God, how terrible is this world? Behold, it's opened, it's opened its mouth to swallow me up and I have so little trust in thee. How weak is the flesh and how powerful is Satan? If it is in the strength of this world only that I put my trust, all is over my last hour has come. My condemnation has been pronounced. 
Oh God, oh God, oh God, please help me against the wisdom, all the wisdom of the world. Do this. You should do this. You alone for this is not my work, but yours. I have nothing to do here. Nothing to contend for with these great ones of the world. I should desire to see my days flow on peaceful and happy, but the cause is yours. And it is a righteous and eternal cause, O Lord. Help me, faithful and unchangeable God. And no man do I put my trust. It would be vain. All that is of man is uncertain. All that comes from man fails. And then he says, oh God, my God, do you hear me? My God, are you dead? No, you can't die you're only hiding yourself. You've chosen me for this work. I know it well. Act then, O oh God, stand at my side for the sake of your well-beloved son, Jesus Christ, who is my defense, my shield, and my strong tower, my mighty fortress. The song that we just closed with is a song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, written by Martin Luther. A song that we still sing today, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. The way that we have to view God if we are to see and give glory to his majesty and his faithfulness, his sovereignty, is to see him as a mighty fortress. Luther knows that everything could be against him. The world, all of the world, all of the leaders, all of those with power, Satan himself. He goes the next day and he gives this historic reply where he says, after they Say, we don't want you to give us reasons for why you taught these things. They say, give us a simple, unsophisticated answer without horns. Will you recant or not? And his historic reply is this. Since your majesty and lordships ask for a plain answer, I'll give you one without either horns or teeth. Unless I'm convicted by scriptures or by right or plain reason. For I trust neither in popes or councils since they often erred and contradicted themselves. Unless I am thus convinced, I am bound by these texts of the Bible. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I neither can nor will recant anything, since it is neither right nor safe to act against conscience. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. Amen. I look at this, and and may we have such resolve today to the gospel. It's just, just such a love for the gospel, a love for the purity of the gospel, a love for God's word and the authority of God's word in which we read God's word and we say, what is it that it says? How is it that we are behaving as a church? How is it that we are behaving individually? What is it that we think? And we ask ourselves, what does the Bible teach us? May that be our authority as we look at our life as a whole. What does God's word teach us? And his commitment is to that. And he says, unless I'm convinced Unless I'm thus convinced, I'm bound by these texts of the Bible. Here I stand, I can do no other. Yet, we live in a time now in which there's need for reformation. There's need for reformation now within the church. The church has strayed so far from just biblical theology. It's strayed so far from salvation that comes by faith alone and Christ alone to the glory of God alone in which scripture alone is our authority. There's things that take place that are just all kinds of crazy things within the church. I think of going back to Sudan and, and probably one of the most precious times that I had there was 
having a, a group of, of pastors that I just spent a week with and, and went through. They, they were there, and, and these were the pastors that came from all over South Sudan to come and, and, to, and just to take this, this time just to learn and went through with them and just said, if, if, if you were before God right now and God said, why should I allow you into the kingdom of God? Why should I allow you into heaven? What would you say? And, and just listening to these pastors go through and just say, okay, I, I got one. I, I was baptized. And so I said, great. And just wrote up, I was baptized and put it up on the chalkboard. Another guy raised his hand. Uh, I, I read the Bible. So I could read the Bible. I go to church, go to church. I try to do good things. Try to do good things. And we just wrote them all up on the board. And, and I just said, keep going, keep going. Give me more, give me more. And they were so excited. Got another one. You know, they just kept telling me all the great things that they had done. And, and I said, if, if, if it looked at the board, is this enough? And I remember big smiles on their faces. It is enough. <laughs> but taking them from there to say, if your confidence is in these things, you'll surely spend eternity in hell. And, and pointing them to the cross. That salvation comes by faith, not of works. It all comes by grace. It comes through faith in the accomplished work of Christ of taking our sins upon himself and giving us his righteousness. That it's not based on whether or not we've done enough good, but it's based on do we believe in our Savior who died on the cross for our sins. And just taking them through scripture one after another of where it shows us we're saved by faith alone and watching these guys and just seeing within their heart. I mean, they, the joy that was there in looking at it. And I remember one guy said, I need to go. I need to go home. And I said, why? And he said, I, and he just tears flowing. I have taught my people wrong for all of these years. I need to go and proclaim the gospel to them. The gospel, the power of the gospel to change lives, the purity of the gospel. And so you look at this and you say, we're in a time where there needs to be a bold proclamation of the gospel. The church, we here, as well as churches around our nation and around the world, with a love for the lost and a love for the gospel that would give us boldness to proclaim it, Sincerity of heart to know what is it that it says and a commitment to these things. Luther taught through the Psalms for years and he loved them. But his favorite Psalm was Psalm 46. During the darkest, during the most dangerous times in his life, through this time of the Reformation, he tells that his friend, his co-worker, Philip Melanchthon, said, Luther would say, come, Philip, let's sing the 46th Psalm. Let's just sing the 46th Psalm. In the times where he was the most nervous of what's going to happen, everybody's against us, the persecution is coming, what he would do is say, come, let's just, let's just sing the 46th Psalm. And so for on this Reformation Sunday, let's look to the 46th Psalm in which, in which a mighty fortress is our God has come from. Beginning in verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, 
a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear even though the earth is removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God. The holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Well, what a psalm to sing in the time of the Reformation. What a song to sing at Reverend's Bible Church here in 2013, to look and to see changes that take place within our government that are so hostile towards us, aren't they? So hostile towards God's word, so hostile towards the gospel. Seeing persecution take place all over the world in which there's Christians all over the world that are imprisoned, that are being martyred for their faith. Seeing it be where it's no longer the majority that think like us, but we've by far become the minority. A psalm that's given to us that gives us just such a gigantic view of God. God is our refuge. He's our fortress and our strength. When it looks like all of the world, when it looks like Satan, when it looks like everybody is against us, Luther would just say, let's just sing the psalm. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Therefore, we won't be afraid. God's with us. He's our fortress. Even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, and though the waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its Swelling, we won't be afraid. If it's if the earth is removed, if the mountains are carried into the sea, if everything is against us, he's our fortress. The greatest blessing during the Reformation to those who were the leaders and to the church, they kept going back to Psalm 46. A mighty fortress is our God. The other name for that is what it's known for is the battle hymn of the Reformation. Battle hymn of the Reformation. They sang it frequently. They sang it because you sing a a song like that, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, this wall that is around us, our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing, for still our ancient foe 
doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Got all of these people coming against us, but a mighty fortress is our God. We as Christians could go into a place of just panic and being in a place of what do we do? How are we going to fix all these things? And you come to a psalm like this and what it speaks so loudly is rest. What it speaks so loudly is trust me. It doesn't mean that we're not to even go to our death for the sake of the gospel like so many of these men did. But it's done in a way of Our view of you, God, is so great that we trust you. I think of Elizabeth Elliot, just a young lady who moved to Ecuador to be a missionary to the unreached people groups of that country. Her first husband, Jim Elliot, was brutally killed in 1953 as he was bringing the gospel to the Aka Indians, him and his friends. Elizabeth was just 29 years old at the time, had a 10-month-old daughter. 10-month-old daughter, 29 years old, and her husband's just been killed. She takes her daughter with one of the other widows. The three of them go for two years and minister the gospel to the same people that killed their husbands. She got remarried in her late 40s to a man by the name of Addison Litch and watched him slowly be just consumed with cancer. He passed away. In relating those what these experiences were like, she We'd always go back to Psalm 46, and she said, In reverence to the first death, everything that has seemed most dependable has given way. Mountains are falling. The earth is reeling. In such a time, it is a profound comfort to know that although all these things seem to be shaken, one thing is not. God is not shaken. And she went on to find great comfort, as the psalm concludes with, Be still and know that God is God. The psalm is, is for us as we are in this world and we're going against the enemies of the cross. It's also a psalm for us when we're going through the natural disasters such as the earth being removed and the mountains being thrown into the depths of the sea. In verse 4 it says, There's a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged and the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. The Lord of hosts is with us. You look at this and they read and sing this psalm and we, we see in the mighty fortress the, the words, Lord Sabbath is his name and it can also be translated, the Lord of hosts is his name. Lord of hosts, the Lord of soldiers who leads his army. All powerful one, he's with us. He's with us. When everything is against us, when the nations are raging, he utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. He's with us, brothers and sisters. He's with us. 
the all-powerful creator of this universe who speaks things into existence, who causes the dead to rise, who makes axe heads float, who separates the sea, who shines in such brilliance that there's no need for the sun when you're in heaven. He's with us. The God of Jacob, not only the Lord of hosts, who is the Lord of all of the armies, all of the soldiers, all of them, the powerful one, but the God of Jacob is our refuge, our father. The God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the one who is our father, he is our refuge. He is our fortress. And so it goes from there in verse eight, it says, come, behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. Come, behold the works of the Lord. What a thing it is to do that, isn't it? Come, in the midst of reformation, in the midst of feeling like such a small remnant and everybody is against us, in the midst of seeing the church wander so far from the gospel, in the midst of seeing things where it looks like there's wars and rumors of wars, in the midst of reading headlines like Israel warns Iran because Iran's so close to nuclear weapons, and we see that in the last couple days, in the midst of looking at all of that is taking place in the world, and you're saying, how is it all going to work out? To be able to say, come, behold the works of the Lord. Come, behold the works of him. Think of the works of the Lord. The one who created everything. The one who, when all of the world was so wicked, saves Noah and his family. The one who saves Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The one who makes a people for himself. The one who continues that remnant and it just keeps going. The one who preserves the nation of Israel. Even though they're scattered all over the world, he brings them back to Israel in 1948. The God who, we think of Christ, became incarnate. There, was born from the Virgin Mary, laid there in the manger. The wise men come, exact place there in Bethlehem, just as it had been prophesied. All of the details of his life, all coming at the exact time, the exact day in which it was prophesied for him to come. Come, behold the works of the Lord. See him teach the religious leaders. See him turn water into wine. See him reach out and touch the leper and say, I'm willing to be cleansed. See him spit and put it into the man's eyes and make the blind see and make the lame walk and make the deaf be able to hear. Watch him cause people to rise again from the dead. Watch what he does when he goes and, and he walks on water and he stills the storm. And look at what he does when he's there in the garden of Gethsemane and the steadfastness of him to do that which the father had called him to do. And he goes to the cross and he fulfills all of the prophecies that were given as far as what it would take, what would take place and how it would look like, 
how it would be when he'd go to the cross, remaining silent there and being there and, and being a lamb without spot or blemish or any such thing and going through the whole process to where he's there on the cross taking all of our sin and the sin of the world upon himself to where he's there hanging upon that cross and he says the words, it is finished, come behold the works of the Lord, our faithful God. Just as he says, he rises again on the third day. He ascends into heaven. He's there at the right hand of the Father, giving us his Holy Spirit. He gives us his word, and he preserves the church, and he brings us to salvation just as we are here today. The result of God working in us to will and to do of his good purpose. The Holy Spirit and the sweetness of it to take hearts that were hearts of stone and he changed them into hearts of flesh. Come behold the works of the Lord in your life. And we read this psalm and it's just look at it. Look at what he has done throughout all of history. And we see a God who can be trusted. A God who we look at and we say truly mighty fortress is our God. He's mighty. He makes war cease. To the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. And then. Psalmist says just. He's inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these things. God says through the psalmist. As a result of all of these things. Be still and know. That I am God. Be still. Rest. When life's not going the way that you thought it was going to go. When the enemy is against us. When finances are bad. When relationships are struggling. When the future looks bleak. When disease has come. Come behold the works of of the Lord, and as a result, God says, Be still and know that I am God. I'm your refuge. I am that mighty fortress. I will be exalted among the nations. I will, I will be exalted. Among the nations. I will be exalted. In the earth. I love this. I love a view of. Of God in which you just look at him. And you see the things that he says in it. It causes us to see him as just this bulwark. That is never failing. This wall that is there that is so powerful that no one can penetrate it. He does whatsoever he wills to do, both here and on earth as well as in heaven. I was driving to church today and I had some radio on. Christian radio. The host said something along the lines of you might be thinking to yourself today I need to get to know that Jesus guy a little bit better and it's just like ah like I, puh, puh. I, 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 like I I heard that and just thought why would you why, ref, why would you ever refer to him like that 
would you ever refer to him like that? I mean, just such a pathetic view of God. That, that Jesus guy. He's not that Jesus guy. He's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. And he says things like, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know I'm all powerful. Be still and know that I'm bigger than cancer. Be still and know that I can change hearts. Be still and know that I can restore relationships. Be still and know that I am a God who, who does things that nobody else can do. And I say them and no one can reverse them. Man can make their plans. But I will direct their steps. I know when they sit down and I know when they rise up and I know when their thoughts are afar off and I can take them and I can change them. You can't. Be still and know that I am God. I am a God that will be exalted among the nations. Be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The Lord of hosts. The Lord with the ten thousands times ten thousands and thousands and thousands of angels. The Lord of hosts, the all-powerful one, is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. We... We will sing in a moment, a mighty fortress is our God. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Does ask who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord, Sabbath is his name from age to age the same. He must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can't endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. So brothers and sisters, let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also. The body, they may kill, but his truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. May we have such a view of God that we take the battle hymn of the Reformation and take it there from Psalm 46 and apply it into our lives that we might leave this place with a great confidence in God great faith in him, a view of him that is so glorious that our hearts just are ignited with joy.
And may we go forth with boldness in the gospel. Amen.